Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, this is Nadine Dietz, host of CMO Moves. I just wanted to take a quick moment to say thanks so much for stopping by today and to give you a quick overview on what to expect. CMO Moves is all about game-changing leaders, their incredible journeys, the moves that they've made, and most importantly, their personal stories of how they got to be the leaders of some of the world's most exciting brands. I hope you'll enjoy their stories as much as I do and take away a few tips and some inspiration for your day. Enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to CMO Moves. Today, I have the great pleasure of having Nuno Tellas with me, who is the president of Diageo Beer Company. Nuno, hi, and welcome to the show. Hello, Nadine, and thanks for having me. I'm really excited to have this conversation. Me too. You know, what an exciting move you just made um, from CMO of Heineken, now over as president of Diageo Beer Company. Um, I thought we'd kick off by asking why you decided to take on that role and tell us more about Diageo Beer Company. Yeah, thank you um, for uh, that question. And, uh, and indeed, it's not easy to leave Heineken after 14 years, but it was actually the desire to embrace a new uh, project. I've always been driven by the excitement and the ability to uh, make a dent and to uh, create something new and really change the way I could change the markets and the brands. And joining Diageo at this time is, is really exciting. And the reason why, it's because we are about to open a brewery in Baltimore, Maryland. And that is not just a new brewery, it's a unique experience uh, and that obviously uh, drove a lot of my interest as well as two iconic brands, uh, Guinness to start with and obviously Smirnoff Ice. Both brands represent the majority of our business. Uh, when in the beer uh, space, Guinness is the leading stout in the world and stouts are getting more and more interest from consumers. Uh, that is a benefit of having had the craft revolution is consumers are more aware of different types of beers. And Smirnoff Ice, we have created the flavor malt beverage category back in 2001 with the launch of Smirnoff Ice. And this is really an exciting uh, brand with a lot of innovation. So we are launching uh, three different products as we speak this summer. So all that made me embrace this new project. And, and I would end up saying the move from CMO to president of the IGP company and having uh, also to look at um, sales, marketing, 
finance operations in an holistic way has always been my sweet spot. And this is the ability of doing that in a country that I love so much, which is the United States of America. Okay, so that's super fascinating. And I I can't wait to dig in more around your new role. But before we do, I'm curious about this new brewery. Uh, Can you tell me more about that? Yeah, Nadine, that was one of the things, obviously, that drove my attention. The fact that we are building a new brewery in Baltimore, Maryland, but being a combination of 2.5 centuries of brewing experience that we have with Guinness back in Ireland, the, the we started brewing in 1759 and combining that with the creativity of American brewers, it's outstanding. So uh, I want to embrace um, that opportunity. It's a unique proposition in the marketplace. And we have been operating with a temporary test room and we already have a thousand people visiting us on a weekly basis which is great to see, and engaging with different beers from Guinness. So I'm really, really excited, and I believe this will shape the beer market in the U.S. Okay, so that I definitely can't wait to see where that goes, and I'm going to try to get over there to see it myself. But let's talk yeah. about your, your role, because uh, I know a lot of people are really excited to hear about your transition from being CMO at Heineken to president of Diageo. Yeah, that's the the critical thing. When you move from um, CMO to a president role, you need to uh, be very clear about, you know, that you are embracing a more holistic perspective of the business. So you need to let go the area that you are more comfortable, which is obviously the marketing, and you need to embrace finance and sales and operations and uh, human resources with both hands. I always have as my sweet spot this overview of all the functions and, uh, and, and the CMO with his management team, he already plays that. He already plays like being ahead, trying to influence the, the management teams. But this is a different uh, perspective. This is really taking decisions, making sure that the team feels empowered and motivated to go after better results and uh, excel in performance. So it's more people-oriented, even more, uh, being really uh, about having the right culture, the right motivation uh, for the right reasons, having a purpose for the team to embrace and to go after. So I would say the cross-functional perspective of it, letting go the, the area that you are more comfortable with, allowing others to play that role within the team, and coach them and, and, and empower them to really excel in the area that you feel more comfortable and then partner with the other members of the, the management team to really have a strong leadership path and to have the right culture in the, in the organization. Okay, so this is really cool because, um, <clears throat> and I didn't even uh, know that we were actually going to get into this today, but I'm so excited because you just hit on a topic that I totally love. And in fact, you hit on like three things. So I have to remember all of them and come back to them. But I want to talk about culture for a second. So I literally just flew back from New York last night. I was at the Spencer Stewart CMO Summit. And the topic was, what is the role of the CMO in an organization's culture? So you having been a CMO and now president, can you shed some light on that? 
Yeah, absolutely. I love that um, provocation in the sense of culture versus strategy. And, and we have a lot of that debate, like how important it is to have the right strategy, how important it is to have the right culture in an organization in order to succeed. And I tend to believe that the culture by far beats the, the, the strategy. And I always use an analogy, which is when you have the right strategy and the wrong culture, the wrong people, you may destroy the strategy. If you have the wrong strategy and the right people, the right culture, they will fix the strategy. Mm. And, and, and that is a very good, uh, simple analogy to say that culture at the end of the day is everything. Having the right people with the right mindset with the right culture will uh, go places. And that has been my experience and that will continue to be my number one priority is to have the right culture in the organization because that will drive performance, that will drive having the right strategy, the right execution and the right position in the marketplace. So uh, culture is everything for me. Absolutely. And and when you think about the capabilities that you had of a CMO uh, to impact culture or, or foster or lead it or shape it versus now in your role as president, um, how would you compare and contrast that? I would say the main uh, difference is a CMO needs to set the direction, the path from a consumer lenses. So needs to be the um, element in the leadership team that will bring inspiration and consumer perspective where the market is going and lead towards that that destination. I, I tend to say it's it's the lighthouse of of a leadership team is is the one that can really excite all the others about the opportunities that we can as an organization capture. We all need to grow, you know, top line growth is the sustainability of an organization in a profitable way. As, as a president, you need to embrace and stimulate that role. You need to have your CMO as the engine for growth and the one that will bring the direction for the others to follow. But you need then to make sure that do I have the resources? Can, can we really, do we have the right to win uh, and how we prepare to win and to capture all that. So you play a different role, more in the sense of getting the congruency between where we want to go and do we have the tools, do we have the resources, do we have the systems, do we have the people, do we have the training in place to get there. Uh, I guess it's at the end of the day is very complimentary, but it's very nice to see that both roles are a critical ones for, for organizations to succeed in the marketplace. Okay. So this is fascinating. And, and I'll just ask one more question and then I'll stop. I promise. Cause I'm such a geek in this space. Um, uh, I was itching to ask this question last night too. So I'm going to, you know, unfortunately you're, you're now in the hot seat because I get to ask you the question. So, and I promise it will be a hard one, but um, a quick background. So about two years ago, I was chairing an HR event and I was sitting in the audience on the first day trying to gather my thoughts and I'm listening to these sessions and I'm hearing all the presentations around acquisition and click-through and social media strategy. And I'm thinking, gosh, where am I? Am I in a 
marketing <laughs> conference or I'm in an HR conference, right? <laughs> and, and it's all about being able to attract the right talent. Uh-huh. But of course, retention is uh, equally, if not more important, frankly. And, um, but I thought, wow, that's marketing. And so uh-huh. if you think about you know, employer branding, and I asked a lot of the attendees, you know, are you working very closely with marketing? Because obviously marketing does this every day and they built out all the synergies and the platforms. Mm-hmm. And almost every one of them said, no, they're outsourcing it. Um, and I thought, wow, that seems like a, a, a missed opportunity. And how do you bring the voices together around yeah. the employer brand and the consumer brand? What, what are your thoughts on that? Indeed, it's, it's a transformation, right? Digital. And uh, it's transforming the, the way we do. Uh, what we always did, but we do it in a better way. I I do love the way, you know, marketing needs to be involved, not only towards the external key stakeholders, but also internal key stakeholders. And, and HR is part of, you know, it's a better way to motivate our talents, right? So they need to feel that... Uh, um, desire to go the extra mile and uh, the passion for their brands, the passion for what the organization stands for. Uh, that's, that's the holistic view of marketing that I'm, uh, that I'm always a big fan of. And I believe, you know, you need to have your troops, your super motivated because they will go uh, out there and they will help the organization to grow towards all the other stakeholders, you know, is it retaining, is it recruiting? You know, recruiting is paramount, right? So you want to work for the ones that you admire, right? The ones that can stretch you, that the ones that can challenge you. Uh, and you want to stay in the organization because you like to work with the people that you are working with, right? So we often hear that you don't quit a job, you quit a, a leader, right? The boss. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's very much true. Uh, you can really uh, achieve a lot by having this candid, open discussion, you know, uh, this strong culture that keeps the organization going forward and reinventing themselves. Right. Okay. So with, with that, I promised I wouldn't ask any more questions because I could probably talk to you about this all day. Um, let's go back to a couple of things that you were talking about earlier. And, and, I, and I'm actually going to throw one new thing in there because you and I talked about this before and it kind of ties into what you were saying earlier about uh, really understanding the consumer. You brought up a super interesting point around the internal, yeah, not internal, excuse me, the eternal mm-hmm. discussion of brand equity. Can you mm-hmm. share with everyone what you were saying to me? Because it was fascinating. Yeah, well, the, the, the brand equity is always a big discussion because, you know, uh, both, you know, if you are a CMO and we, you always have that those discussions with your sales counterparts, you know, why are we not achieving the sales target of the month? Is it because we have not executed and so we don't have the distribution, we don't have the pricing, or is it because our brands are not strong enough uh, to drive the velocity, the rate of sale that we need per point of distribution? And, you know, there's always this debate about um, is, it, is it really all about the brand power, the brand equity. And, uh, and we tend to link that with, with the sales and how are we growing. And we need to go deeper. Uh, and, and the reason why I always wanted to go deeper is sometimes you may have a lot of brand 
a love, but you are not translating that because you are not tapping to the right occasion or you are not tapping into the right channel or with the right packaging or the right pricing. So I do believe that the congruency between all those levers that drive sales, you know, when you have all the stars aligned, so when you have the right packaging at the right pricing, at the right channel, uh, targeting the right consumer, the right occasion, that is where you are able to translate all the brand equity uh, into, into sales. And just by saying, okay, I'm not eating the number, the brand equity is not there, so we need to change advertising. I always do timeout. You know, like guys, we are taking conclusions too fast and it's so easy to say, okay, I'm not achieving uh, the results because the, the advertising is not working and because equity is not there. And that has always been my advice to CMOs is to really go much deeper. And the example I use is like, you may have like a fantastic car, like Ferrari is a fantastic car. So, you know, strong equity. But if you look at the Fiat or the Ford, they probably sell by far more simply because they are priced at a different uh, level. They have by far more occasions that I can drive that car. And so let's always pay attention to how we have just a generic view about equity and and we don't go too fast in in linking equity uh, to sales straight away without going much deeper in that discussion. Okay, so this is fascinating. You have um, a really strong background even before you were in your president role going back to, I believe it was Unilever, you were at Unilever, right? Yeah. Yeah, where you've really been thinking about... um, the overall performance of a brand uh, with a, a really solid perspective around the P&L and how to actually manage a brand soup to nuts. It, can you talk a little bit about how you grew, if that impacts your perspective on equity and then how you've been able to translate that to get you into the president role that you're in today yeah. so you've had a good grasp on those things. Right. Nadine. And, and that was actually the start. And, and the reason why my sweet spot is indeed this holistic commercial perspective of the business. Uh, when I started at Unilever, uh, you start, you know, right after college managing a P&L. So you are given a certain brand P&L. And my approach since the beginning was, okay, I'm the CEO of this company. So it's it's a brand, yes, but I have the P&L, so I need to manage the resources, so the budget. And that's also for some marketers, you know, I always saw the budget in an holistic view. So marketing plus sales plus a trade marketing, commercial marketing. So those are the brand resources. And you may allocate those brand resources sometimes more into uh, the pool, so more media, more uh, communication, more above the line, or more below the line, more trade, sampling. So you are the one giving direction in terms of where those resources need to be allocated so that the brand grows, grows in a healthy way, so that you are able to achieve top-line growth in a profitable way and you gain market share. So since the beginning, when I started, uh, I took that approach and that is what led me to this position that I'm in now is that 
view about we need obviously to have strong brands you know those brands are those unique brands and i always say you need to start with a very clear brand positioning you need to have iconic visual identity and you need to have breakthrough communication that's paramount to win in the marketplace if you are just one more you are unlikely to be successful you need to be distinctive and you need to be relevant and then you need to innovate to drive more penetration. And you need to have the right pack at the right price at the right point of distribution. And then you go into execution. You know, if you are not sold, no one can, you know, buy you. So you, you, need, to be, you need to be in the outlets. You need to be uh, obviously having the max amount of distribution uh, with the right uh, trade marketing materials, visibility at the point of purchase or the point of consumption. And you need to have the right promotions. So it's that holistic view from brand relevance to brand presence that uh, I, I use since I started my career and, and I keep using it all the time. And then you start understanding that good marketing, good um, lever, you know, building brand equity is with one objective in mind, which is to have a healthy company uh, that grows in a profitable and sustainable way. Okay. So, you know, I'm writing down like a thousand notes. And so therefore I'm going to have to come back and listen to this podcast a thousand times. I think you just came up with the playbook uh, for their for CMOs, right? It's <laughs> and, I, and and the title for your podcast, perhaps, um, which is from brand relevance to brand presence. I love that and the three steps in between: uh, be distinctive, uh, innovate, and execute. Yes, it's absolutely the it's mental uh, availability and physical availability, and I, I like I like that holistic view. Uh, of, uh, as you said, very rightly so, it's, it needs to be relevant, but needs to be uh, present. So that brand relevance and, and brand presence, uh, that the combination, the holistic view of it, it's, it's quintessential to win in the marketplace. Wow. Okay. So this is super cool. Um, I could go on and on and on and on about more marketing questions for you. And I'm sure there are a lot of people who would love to hear your perspective on marketing but let's zero in on your role as president. Are there any tips you give to somebody out there on how they can prepare for such a role or a way to assess if they even want to be in that role? Well, the, the, I may share what I thought uh, when I embraced this challenge is really be aware that you are changing roles in, 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 in the organization. So uh, that is really important, understanding that, you know, your sweet spot is obviously naturally uh, marketing, but now you are embracing a new role that requires a look at finance, a look at operations and production and distribution, a look at uh, how we go to market, how we are organized from a sales perspective. But above all, it is by far more a people, even more a people job. So being available, knowing everybody in the organization, knowing uh, what they, what are their desires, you know, what they want to contribute, what they want to give to the, to the overall company benefit. That was the main thing that I thought, like really disconnecting the phone, like one practical thing, you know, I'm using my phone significantly less 
So, you know, I don't check emails during the day. I don't text all the time because I want to be with the ones that I'm there, right there. So, and that I felt like it's, it's a big responsibility because you are leading an organization, you are leading by example, and you want to be 100% with the ones that are approaching you. You need to be available and you need to be listening and you need to be coaching and giving direction when it's needed, but above all, empowering them to excel and to, uh, and to change the path of the organization to, to a better place. Okay. And how did you, um, and this may not be something that you say, well, Nadine, it was this one single moment in time. In fact, it's uh, almost 100% guaranteed not a single moment in time. But those are really interesting skills to build, and not everybody has that baked in at birth. I mean, you have to actually really practice leadership. Um, were there any things that you did along the way that inspired you to become the leader that you are or a person that influenced you or like a class you took? Like, how did you develop these really important skills that are grounded in almost patience, if you will? Yeah, that's, um, I always paid a lot of attention to the 360s and learn from feedback. I believe feedback is a gift. Um, asking your peers, your team, you know, the, your boss is like, give me honest, candid feedback. I take it as a gift. Not that you are going to do everything that you are told to, but, you know, at least being aware of how you are perceived and, and, and what you need to adjust, but always keep it in an authentic way. So there's nothing wrong to pretend to be someone that you are not. You are what you are, and the more um, transparent, the more candid you are on a daily basis, the better. Because people can really see when you are being yourself or when you are trying to be someone else that you are not. And, uh, and you know, my advice was always listen, pay attention to the feedback, but never try to be someone that you are not. And that, you know, is, has always been the way I operated. And hopefully that will continue to be the case because I really believe that's the, that's the way to go. So I am torn now going in two different directions, what I want to go to next, but we are unfortunately coming short on time. So I'm going to go right to a question that I would love to know. You're talking about being who you are. So where did you grow up? What shaped you? What inspired you along the way? Um, so in many, many uh, countries, mainly uh, my country of origin, I'm Portuguese. And so for a long period, I lived in, in, in Portugal, but then I also lived in Paris when I was working for Unilever. And then I worked uh, in Brazil for, for a long period, the US, the Netherlands. So multiple countries. And it has always been a nice, humble uh, experience to adapt myself to a new culture. And that is... Uh, you know, indeed a good way to grow because uh, you are what you are and you need to continue to be uh, true to yourself. But at a certain time, you need to realize that in Brazil, you do things in a certain way that you don't do in Europe and different from the way you do it in the US. 
the the you are playing within different cultures so uh, having that good understanding of being flexible to adapt but still true to yourself um that has been given to me by being exposed to those different cultures. Uh, and it's probably the reason why I ended up being who I am is, is, is this uh, good balance between uh, keep uh, being uh, true to yourself while uh, still adapting to, to new realities and being sufficiently flexible uh, to, to take advantage of the opportunities that are given to you. Well, okay. So with the exception of Brazil, I've actually lived and worked in all those countries too. And now I know why I really like you. That's awesome. Um, well, and, and you are probably missing the best one. I know, <laughs> right? Is awesome. I have always wanted to go to Brazil. It's on my list for sure. Very high. Um, but uh, that also explains your love for football, the, the sport where we actually use feet, uh, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, of course, of course. Oh my gosh! Do you, do you still have uh, uh, ties to the Portuguese teams? Are you? Um... No, I do. I do. I, I I I may say that New York City Football Club is my team of. Um, you know, it's I I love how progressive soccer is in the US. So then again, you know, soccer obviously is starting in the US, but it's the fastest growing sport and the biggest passion point among millennials and Hispanics. But it's it's really nice to have a, a local team, but obviously my Benfica team, which is my hometown team, is obviously my, my, my favorite one. Okay, so that's so funny. I have a lot of friends in Portugal. My father lived for 10 years. And every time we get together, one would show up with the Benfica shirt and the other one would come with the sporting <laughs> shirt. Exactly. <laughs> And they were still good friends, but they hated each other at that moment. So it was just really funny. Um, I know, I know. It's it's a bit like Red Bull and New York City Football Club in, in, in Manhattan. But over there, I may say, it's a little bit more aggressive. You know, like you kind of respect each other, but you want to win. You definitely. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so exciting. Okay, well, I, I, I have another story coming in my head. We're gonna, And we're going to have to get Denise Karkos involved in this, too, because she's a big uh, soccer junkie herself. So... Uh, well, we'll figure something out here. We'll get a game on. I, I think mm-hmm. I, I smell a game coming. <laughs> that would be an excellent, excellent idea. Oh, okay. So this is really coming together, man. Okay, more on this later. Um, Nuno, I have so loved having you on the show. I have one last question for you. Um, if you weren't doing what you're doing today, what would you be doing? <laughs> so, you know, it's very much linked to our previous conversation. I would be just a soccer star. Oh, I love it! Yay! <laughs> Listen, it's really awesome. I, I've been in the middle of the, the soccer pitch, and it's really amazing the energy you have there, having like eighty thousand people uh, looking at you and having to perform and and working with the team and trying to be a team player, but also scoring for the team. So that that was always something that I dreamt of doing, but unfortunately, I'm not skilled enough to have a, a role in that film. Oh my gosh. Okay. So even more reason for us to get this game on. Of course. I'm going to call Denise because she wants to be a coach too. So maybe she can whip us both in a shape. We'll do an awesome job. <laughs> Excellent. Well, Nuno, thank you so much for taking the time out to join me today. It's been a real pleasure to have you with me. Nadine, it's always a pleasure. And once again, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? 
Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan.